0: Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, so, I mean, as I think all of you know, I'm Sam. I am the pastor's son here. Um, Now, just to to kind of update you, so I, I go to Grace College, which is up in northern Indiana. Um, I actually, there's a lot of things I was thinking about majoring in at first. Um, I was thinking about earth science, English ed, a business major, and then I ended up going with political science going in. Um, and then about a year and a half in, I'm two and a half years in right now, but about a year and a half in, I actually switched to biblical studies. So as you can imagine, that's a pretty big turnaround from political science. Um... Well, I, the biggest reason was because I, I realized something about myself, which was that I was being led by a lot of other things besides God. And that's an important, it's going to be an important theme today in in the sermon. Um, we have to remember that we are always being led by something, right? And this is, this is why I want you to start reflecting on as, as we begin. Uh, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that today it would be about you and, and no one else in this room, God. Um, you're ultimately the most important being here. Um, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you would have for us to learn today. Uh, help me to convey clearly what you would want me to say and help us all to see what we may need to change in our own lives. Uh, it's easy to think that we are just here for another Sunday and, um, and just, to, just to socialize or, or something else like that, God, but help us to learn to value every chance we have to learn more about you. I pray that you would calm my nerves and remind me that today is about you and no one else. In your name, amen. So, who are you led by? I was talking about myself a second ago, but now I want to talk about you. Who are you led by, each of you? That's the question I want to bring before you today. Ask yourselves, who are you led by? What is controlling you? We as humans are constantly being led by something or someone, an interest or a passion, curiosity maybe, Sometimes we are led by negative things, perhaps by hate or lust or anger. We can be led by our desires, our sin, our flesh, or even Satan. Or we can be led by God in righteousness. We all have something that guides us or influences us in our lives. And the Bible is clear that from the beginning, we are led by sin. When I was a kid, my mom used to explain this idea to me in in this way. We all have a little throne in our hearts, right? Somebody is going to be sitting on that throne. It's not going to be empty. Uh, and in many cases, for when she was explaining it to me, it'd be myself. I was sitting on my own throne. I was doing whatever I wanted to do, whatever most pleased me in that moment. Then um, many times it's our own sin as well. Perhaps we are caught up in jealousy or coveting what we don't have. While we are caught up in that and without Jesus's grace and mercy, we would be stuck living in that sin with that jealousy reigning over our hearts. Till we eventually died and would be bound for hell. The sin, our flesh, whatever it may be, is not just like a cruel ruler in our hearts. They're like a loan shark who demands payment from us. We are bound to that sin, to our flesh, and we live like we have no way out. Now, let's dive into the passage today uh, that I want to go over, which is Romans 8 12 through 17. And the little heading is Heirs with Christ. Now, I'm going to read it real quick through, and then we'll hit on a few different verses as we go through it. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, that's just a short little passage, about five verses, but there's a lot that Paul has to say here that has a lot of ties in with the rest of the Bible as well. So let's dive right into it. Uh, and see what Paul has to say about this. He begins this passage by stating something that is more profound than you might think at first glance. I remember when I I first started reading this passage, I read the first verse, and I was kind of just skipped over it, you know? didn't really seem that important to me at the moment, and it was also kind of confusing in the way it was worded. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That's just weird grammar, right? Uh, So well it's only weird because of how the transition works from greek to english because paul originally wrote this in greek uh now in greek this makes perfect sense but to us it's it's a little rough so let me rephrase it for you just to make it sound a little bit more clear so then brothers we are debtors to live according to the flesh we are not debtors to the flesh itself however we are stuck in our ways and behave as though we are indebted to the flesh see how much clearer that becomes Paul is telling us that we live according to the flesh, even though we are not indebted to it. The flesh, our sin, whatever it might be, they lead us like it's like we are its slaves, like a loan shark, as I said earlier. As a side note, the word "debtor" in this passage comes from the Greek word "ophiates," which I could be completely butchering. That I really don't know. It's my best attempt at it. Which in, in this word is simply uh, it implies obligation. It means that somebody is going to live according to something, like they are indebted to that. So if you were a ofilletes to somebody, then you would live like you were indebted to them. Um, And in this case, he's talking about the flesh. We live according to the flesh. Uh, And without Christ in our lives, we are being led by the flesh and what it would have for us to do. This idea leads right into my first point today, which is that the spirit frees us from our chains to sin. We are chained to that sin, just like Paul says, and the spirit frees us from that. And a familiar passage to all of us, uh, considering uh, my dad brings it up all the time. uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't just injured or asleep or anything else like that. We were dead in our sin. There was no hope for us whatsoever. We were like zombies walking the earth, doing whatever was best for us according to what we thought we needed. This verse echoes the statement from Paul and reemphasizes the idea that we are being led by our flesh and cannot do anything about it. Just like how we were dead in our trespasses, we are now being led by the flesh. It demands payment for no reason other than it wants it. This is clearly not true, and we owe the flesh nothing, but without the Spirit's help, without salvation through Jesus, we won't be able to break free, and we have no way of fleeing from it. This debt would come in the form of many things, or, or debt, I should say, because we aren't indebted to the flesh, but we behave as though we are. It's easy to picture it as an actual like money debt, as what we think of, but the way Paul is using it here refers to sin. Our flesh demands something from us, and the payment we can never satisfy comes in the form of giving in to whatever fleshly desires we have moment to moment. So it's not as though we're paying money to our flesh or or ourselves or whatever. We're paying in the form of sin. Uh, If the flesh demands that we pay up in the form of jealousy, we may say things that hurt others or shut ourselves off because all we can focus on is what others have. Many times this happens through social media, doesn't it? I know for myself it does all the time. We can be scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, whatever it is, and we'll see somebody else that just got a new car. We're thinking, you know, how come they got to have a new car and I'm stuck with my car that breaks down every time I turn it on? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to us and we get jealous because of that. We have in us a bitter, we are bitter towards other people because we don't have what they want. And we would rather, you know, have something like that for ourselves than then be happy for them. Paul also tells us the result of this humanly insurmountable problem, the fact that we're chained to our flesh. In the first part of verse 13, the end of the line for us if we continue this way of life is death. If we follow the sin that controls us, our flesh that consumes us, nothing good will come from that. Time after time throughout the Bible, we are reminded that our sin will lead to our demise. Just in Romans, there's there's multiple passages talking about this. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. In Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in this situation from the moment we are born. It's similar to how Ephesians 2 passage, the Ephesians 2 passage, sets a similar setting of doom for us and turns the idea around with a simple two-word phrase, but God, so does this passage in Romans turn around with this. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Isn't that amazing? It's, and it's, it's, it, look at the passage. It's, it's not about well, something we're doing. It's by the Spirit. The Spirit is giving us this power to break the chains of our sin. And it says, you will live then. However, there is hope for us as sinners as it comes in the form of Christ and the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus into our lives and ask him to start leading us in his ways... He gives us his spirit to guide us and help us through our lives. The Holy Spirit takes that throne on our hearts away from our flesh. It takes its place. Remember the little throne on your hearts? Right, right before, you know, the Holy Spirit came into our life. We were sitting there. Our sin was sitting there. Satan was sitting there. But then the spirit comes in and helps us break that, that person that is sitting on the throne. Um, verse 13 again. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Through the leadership and guidance of the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the body and live. We can dethrone the flesh that has control of us and repent to live in Christ. And then this is directly correlated to my second point today, which is this. The Spirit makes us a child of God. We just sung about this, didn't we? We often forget just how merciful God is to give us both his Son and his Spirit. Two parts of the Trinity he's given us. While we were once lost in our own desires in a pit we can never climb out of, God sent his son to die and break us free from our chains and his spirit to help us continue living for God. While our flesh demands payment from us, like we are debtors hiding from a loan shark, God's spirit dwells in us and gives us the grace to avoid, avoid that sin and live for him. In fact, God loves us so much that he only, not only protects us from our flesh, he uses his spirit to adopt us as his own. Look at verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read them again real quick. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom require Abba, Father. God give us, gives us his spirit, a spirit of adoption that makes us his own children. We did not receive a spirit of slavery, just like the song said, spirit of fear or a spirit of temptation. Nothing like that at all. God gave us his spirit, which adopts us into his family. Think about how marvelous that is. We sat like an orphan child, living in sin according to our flesh, aimlessly living our lives until we would eventually die and suffer in an eternity in hell. But God had mercy on us and gave us his spirit to make us his son or daughter. That's so critical to understanding our own faith. The word adoption might be somewhat superficial to us. I know and it's used so often in, in sermons now. Um, but throughout the New Testament, and well, throughout the New Testament sermons, then we can forget what this means for us. It's no simple statement to say that we are adopted to be sons or daughters of Christ. In fact, in and around the first century AD, that's when Jesus lived, Paul lived, the disciples, adoption was a very deliberate choice made by uh, the adoptive father. The father would specifically choose his new son to be the inheritor of his name and his estate. He would not have any sort of inferior status or something like that to the other children. He was, to the fullest extent, truly a son. That's what Paul meant when he says that we have been given a spirit of adoption. We are fully and truly God's children, just as much as Jesus. Isn't that cool? We cannot say unwaveringly and with full trust that we are children of God. And not just any children at that, we are also heirs of God. Now, the word Abba that's used in this passage, uh, verse 15 specifically, is typically translated to mean father or dad, but it actually means quite a few things and is used throughout the Bible. However, in this passage, Paul uses it to, in essence, describe someone who was just saved in realizing how great God truly is and cries out to God as his or her new father. It is more than just calling God your father. It is, as Paul says, crying out to God, Abba, Father, you saved me. It's an exclamation. It's not just a statement. You know, I kind of read it sort of bland, but it's so much more than that in this passage. It is an outpouring of the heart from a transition of leadership. Before God gave us his spirit, we were under the tyranny of our flesh, doomed to serve it like we are debtors to it. But when God steps in and changes that leadership, we cry out with thanksgiving to him and rejoice over what he has done. And remember what we just talked about in regards to the spirit of adoption? When we fully realize just how powerful this is, we will cry out to God and thank him for what he has done. He has made himself a true father to us, and we are now truly sons of God just as much as Jesus is. Now, in Paul's day, the justice system, if you want to call it that, uh, worked differently. An author and scholar, R. Kent Hughes, says this, In Hebrew culture, the testimony of two witnesses was required to establish the truth. So say you were living in Paul's Day and you saw a, a robbery committed. Say you were going down to the fish market to buy some fish for your family and, and you were there with the, the, the shop owner and somebody came in and stole a bunch of fish and left. Now, the, just the fish market owner couldn't contest this because it was just one person. You had one person's statement against another person's statement. There was no way to prove that. But in their culture, if there was at least one witness, you could verify that what he's saying is true. And the same goes for this in this passage. Uh, we have two witnesses here that of our innermost being and that of the holy spirit when paul wrote this letter the ideas presented here would have made much more sense to the romans than it does to us however i think we can still get the picture paul is laying out you know more often than not it can be hard to believe someone when they're just saying something random but when they have two people to to back it up in essence then it becomes a lot more believable I know that many times when I was little and have fights with my brother about some toy or something like that, uh, we would go to my mom and both whine about what the other person had done and how we were right, and then eventually it would either end in both of us getting in trouble or neither of us getting in trouble, because she wouldn't know who to believe. We both were saying something different. But that's not the case in this passage. Um, when we find ourselves in situations like this, say, Robbie, like I said a, a minute ago, it always helps to have someone back up your case. We need a witness. That's the role of the Holy Spirit here. When we have the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us and is a witness to our salvation, we show God that we are his sons and daughters. The Spirit testifies with us that we are children of God. It too calls out to God as Father and becomes a witness with us that we are truly a child of God. Isn't that amazing that Paul ties all that in right here? This idea directly correlates with Ephesians 1.13, which says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy spirit. When we accept Christ as our savior, we receive the spirit as a seal for our salvation and our inheritance in heaven. Uh, This leads directly into my last point. The spirit makes us a child of God. The last thing that Paul gives us here in this short passage is a great truth that we can take for the rest of our lives here on earth. He says in verse 17 uh, and And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So now that we've been made children of God through the Spirit, we also partake in his inheritance by being fellow heirs with Christ. Now That sounds great at first glance, doesn't it? Being an heir with Christ, and it is, but when you look at what it really means to be a fellow inheritor with Christ, it's not all, you know, daisies and fun. There's a lot more to it. It is not as glorious as it first looked. The inheritance talked about here is more than just heavenly riches. It is earthly suffering. I think many of us know that, don't we? The spirit that now dwells in our hearts will begin to shape us into a more Christ-like person every day, just like how verse 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So if we have that Holy Spirit on our hearts, then we're going to be led into the path of becoming more like Christ, um, a true son of God. With this molding, however, comes much suffering while on earth, just like what Christ went through. That is not pointless suffering, though. It's not just suffering just to suffer. The suffering shapes and changes us to look more like Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, Beyond all comparison, isn't that amazing? Day by day, the Holy Spirit that's now living in our hearts is renewing us. The Spirit that lives in us is is the one doing that renewing day by day. While we while the suffering hurts and the trials we face are always going to be painful, there's no doubt in that we can know that God is using it to further our sanctification, like how Paul says in the last couple lines of verse 17. All this change that comes through the process of sanctification originates from the change in leadership that happened when we accepted Christ into our hearts. We used to live under the leadership of our own desires, sin, flesh, even the world that we would try to conform to. But when God came in and removed the old leadership, we became new and are now called to live by the Spirit for the rest of our lives. It might be easy to make a superficial, fake decision to live for God and not play it out when things get tough, but Paul specifically says here that when things do get tough, And we suffer with and for Christ We will be glorified for that It may be hard in the moment But remembering this promise Of how Christ suffered for us No suffering will be too great for us to handle While we let our hearts and minds Be directed by the spirit We also know that we don't have anyone else To think except for the Holy Spirit God gave us his spirit to renew us Even if it might be painful at times We have to watch out for what Paul says In Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. See, we didn't remove the sin on on our hearts by ourselves. It was by the Spirit of God, right? Like we talked about. So then how do we apply what Paul has said here to our own lives? We've seen how the Spirit frees us from our chains to sin, how it makes us a child of God, and how it becomes our seal for a future inheritance. So how do we apply this to, you know, everyday living? Well, first, we need to remember to always self-analyze. We all know for a fact that even if we are saved, the battle's not over yet, not till we get to heaven. We are still sinners and struggle with that on a daily basis. So if we let sin take over again, we have to repent and run back to God every time. Even though once we are saved and are sealed through the Spirit, we still have to wage war on sin in our lives and root it out of our hearts when it tries to take over again. And we're not doing that of our own uh, ability. We're doing that through the power that the spirit has given us. Many times as Christians, we get caught up in the fact that there is still sin in our lives. I, I know I do this all the time. I don't think I have a right to stand up here when I still sin, but we have to remember what Christ said. We have to accept that reality and push on our fight with sin is definitely not over when we receive salvation and letting the sin in our in the sin or our flesh take over again is not an option. So we have to analyze our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, our souls, and make sure everything else about ourselves, uh, and analyze everything else about ourselves to make sure we're still with God in this. This right here, the the Bible, is key to fighting the sin. If If you're not using this to fight the sin, then you're missing out. If we try and fight it on our own, we are doomed to fail. But when we use God's word to fight sin, we will find success. Read it, Meditate on it, live on it. This is God's word. God's Spirit has enabled us to find the truth in these words, right? Because we, we can look at this when we aren't saved and just see just a jumble about random nonsense. But God's Spirit opened our eyes to what is in here. So don't take that for granted and neglect what God has for us. Use His wisdom that He gives us through this book to self analyze and to fight the sin that tries to control our hearts. But with this fight will come suffering as we talked about and that is my second point of application for today we will suffer both inwardly and outwardly we'll suffer inwardly through the pain that our own sin causes us and others around us and we will suffer outwardly through the trials of the world whether it may be the loss of a loved one illness or disease financial troubles heartbreak depression whatever it might be we will inevitably suffer but we have to remember what paul told us at the end of verse 17. And what he will continue to tell us for the rest of chapter 8 as well. I recommend you read it. We will suffer with Christ in order to be glorified with Christ. It's easy to say that up front and console ourselves in the moment before the suffering. But when it comes down to it and we actually live in that suffering, it can be so much harder to think outside of our present circumstances. That's why we need to self-analyze now, prepare our hearts, and remind ourselves that we have God's spirit in us. Because at the end of the day, we can take so much comfort in this. Even when it seems like we are completely alone in our pain, whatever it might be, we can know that we have God's spirit in us at all times. Take comfort in that and live for him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that Paul wrote this passage for us, God. It's such a good reminder to continue to, to live for you. I pray that you would help us to remember how much you've done for us, God, in, in giving us your son and your spirit. Pray that we wouldn't take for granted uh, what you've given us, God. Help us to continue to, to read and meditate and live on your word. In your name, amen.